Good evening. It's good to see you all. Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans. This evening we're returning to Romans chapter 12. And if the Lord will, if the Lord enables, we'll be examining verse 9 down through to verse 12. Now, it is often the complaint of those that are opposed to the gospel of salvation by the grace of God that preaching the gospel of God's grace somehow promotes careless living or promotes a light view of any sinful deed. But, of course, that's just a straw man argument that the enemies of the cross hurl and throw at God's people, especially his preachers who are faithful to preach Christ and Him crucified. You see, those who are saved by the grace of God, because they are recipients of God's grace, they are gracious, kind, and loving people who live to the glory of God. My friend, God's people are motivated by His love for them. They're, they're not mean, they're not harsh, cruel people, but rather they're loving kind and gentle people. And that's the description of God's people. You see, beloved, we're long-suffering towards others because God has been long-suffering towards us. Now, we suffer others, but that does not mean that we suffer that which is false. Like, we suffer others patiently. We do. But that does not mean that we suffer that which is false that which is untrue concerning God and men. I mean, we don't compromise the gospel just to get along or deny the gospel just to please men. What did Paul rightly say about being a minister of the gospel? If I yet pleased men, if that was what I was about, to please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And so we don't smooth out the gospel to get along or please men. Rather, we stand firm on the gospel and promote peace and harmony around the gospel of the grace of God. Now, these closing verses found in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 down to, through to verse 21, set forth light for believers to live by in this life. And we've been learning a little bit of this in our study of 1 John, how that what we confess if we confess it in sincerity, is by the transforming power of Christ in us. And if we are indeed born from above, if Christ is indeed formed in us, we will see some evidence of this being a new creature in Christ in our conduct, behavior, and attitude. And this is what the Apostle sets forth here on what a believer's conduct, behavior, and attitude ought to be. Now, of course, all of this speaks not to the cause of salvation, but rather the evidence of it. And if we have life, if Christ be in us, we will all desire to see these things put into practice every day. Beloved, every day we should love one another. Every day we should forgive one another. Every day we ought to see and show forth that we are indeed recipients of His grace and mercy. And every day we need to implore, we need to beg and ask the Lord to help us, to bless us, and enable us to do His will. 
Beloved, wouldn't you like to forgive everyone that has wronged you? I mean, just totally love them, forgive them, and forget about it. (laughs) That'd be something. Beloved, if we know anything of that, in some small measure, that's Christ in you. It has nothing whatsoever to do with us. That's Christ in you, beloved. And that's a blessing. And that comes to the believer by the grace and mercy of God to them in Christ. But for the unbeliever, for the unbeliever, it's impossible. Indeed, I've heard many unbelievers say with wrath, I can never forgive that. Or I've heard others say, I'll never forgive him. I'll never forgive her. Our Lord declares, if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It is only those who are recipients of God's mercy and grace that know anything about forgiving others because they've been so wonderfully and truly forgiven themselves. You see, forgiveness doesn't come natural to the unbeliever. Rather, what comes natural for the unconverted religious hypocrite, and I'm speaking about the atheist as well as the professed believer. Uh, Atheism is just another ism. It's a religion. The only thing that comes natural to all of us by nature is hate, spite, jealousy, and cruelty. You see, those things are natural to the flesh. But for you who truly believe, for you who truly believe the Lord Jesus Christ, well, it should be much easier to love than to hate. It should be much easier to be happy than to be angry all the time. All right, verse 9 in our portion here in Romans chapter 12, the apostle writes, Let love... Now, this is not speaking here about the kind of natural love that a mother has for her children. Rather, this love is the fruit of the Spirit through the Spirit. And that's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. This is that love of God that Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 5. That love that God sheds abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. Love for Christ, love for His people. And so let love, the apostle writes there, let love be without dissimulation. That is, let love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be real and genuine. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. If you would, turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 13. And look there, beginning in verse 34. John 13, beginning in verse 34. 34. Our Lord commands us, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. And John tells us, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Beloved, he laid down his life for us, that you and I should also love one another. Verse 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, this is the love of God that he's speaking about here. You see that? He's not speaking here about something that blooms in us naturally. Rather, he's speaking here about the gift of the Spirit of God in our hearts. And, beloved, it's genuine, it's real. 
The Apostle John writes in his first epistle, and we've been studying this in our Sunday class. He writes, My little children, let not us love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Beloved, we know that we have passed from death unto life. This is uh, verse 14 of the, the same chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Beloved, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And then he writes in 1 John 3, verse 18, it's worth, it bears repeating, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, it's easy to say, I love you. Well, if you do, show me you love me. Demonstrate you love the Lord. Demonstrate you love his people. You see, this is that love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts by God the Holy Spirit. It's not something that blooms there naturally. Rather, it must be formed there, revealed there by the power of God. And so Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be without dissimulation, without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. In the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the, the whole chapter deals with the love of God and how that a man without this love, a man without spiritual love, a man without the supernatural love that puts that he puts in our hearts for him and his brethren, indeed for the, the, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and his beloved people. Well, a man that is without this love is a man without Christ, a man without salvation. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, the apostle writes there, and indeed God's word declares, this is again 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and, have, and of angels and have not charity and, and have not love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, long lo, love suffers long, and is kind. Charity envieth not, love envies not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Beloved, love does not boast of itself. Love is not puffed up and filled with pride. Verse 5, doth not behave itself unseemly. Love doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh her not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. The love of God beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And beloved, this love never fails. And the reason it never fails is because this is speaking of the love of God, of him that loved us and washed us in his own blood 
our never-failing Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's given to us his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, beloved, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Seems like a paradox, doesn't it? I mean, first the apostle says love, and in the second part of the verse, he says abhor or hate that which is evil. Hate that which is contrary to the gospel. And that word cleave, it means get a hold of the gospel and grip it like a mountain climber would a cliff. As if your life depended upon it. Abhor that which is evil, that which is contrary to God and the gospel, and cleave to that which is good. And my friend, there is none good but God. Cleave to Christ and hate that which is contrary to the gospel. In Psalm 119, the psalmist writes there in the 104th verse, Through thy precepts I get understanding. Through thy word, O Lord, through thy testimonies I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Beloved, we are to love God's people. Indeed, we are to love one another, but we are not to embrace that which is contrary to the gospel. All those false doctrines opposed to the gospel of God concerning his son. And so, beloved, shun evil. Cleave to that which is good. And as our Lord said, there is none good but God. His word is good. His way is good. His will is good. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Indeed, everything about God is good. And so lay hold upon him who is our goodness, who is our righteousness. The apostle continues, uh, verse 10, Romans 12, verse 10. And he writes there, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Preferring one another. Beloved, be kind to one another. You see, those who are born of God are loved by God and are loved by those who are born of God. Now, this is talking about intimate family love. And in this love of God and the believer's heart that's regenerated by the power and grace of God, there is no room for hate, grudges, and bigotry. Now, I'm not saying that those things don't dwell in that old, rotten, sinful nature that we have to deal with and drag around with us all the time. Someone rightly said, in this flesh, would the apostle pay, Paul say, no good thing dwells. It's like dragging around a rotting corpse, a stinking, rotting cadaver. That is what we are in the flesh. Nothing good. And if you know anything about dealing with cadavers or dead bodies, you'll know there's nothing good in a dead body. Just rotten, stinking death. And so that's the, the old man. But in every believer, there's two men. There's the old man and the new man. But what's natural to the flesh, to the old man, is hate 
grudges and bigotry, but in that regenerated heart, in that new nature, in that divine nature given of God, there is no room for hate because it's all love. There's no room for grudges or jealousy or bigotry, not in that new heart, not in that new nature. And so be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, making others happy. We find happiness in promoting the welfare and good of others. You see, by nature, we all think too highly of ourselves. That's, that's, that's all of us. That's just the way it is. We think way too highly of ourselves by nature. And so we read here God's word setting forth how the believer should think more highly of others than we do ourselves. And so be kindly affectionate one to another in honor preferring one another. Verse 11, and here the apostle tells us what not to do. Beloved, let's not be slothful in business, but rather be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Beloved, let's not be slothful or lazy in business. Rather, let us be fervent in spirit and let us always be serving the Lord. Now, serving the Lord, this uh, remark here in verse 11, this goes all the way back to the first verse of this chapter. In, in verse 1, Romans 12, the apostle writes there, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I, I beg you, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Not slothful, not lazy in business, not lazy in our zeal or in our business, and that can refer to secular things, but most especially, this is referring to spiritual things. And so let us be fervent in spirit. Let us be zealous in serving the Lord always. Uh, if you would, uh, keep your place there and turn to the book of Titus. Just after Second Timothy. And look there with me in chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. The apostle writes there in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, a, a purchased people, zealous of good works. And in the next chapter, Titus 3, verse 7, he continues and writes there, that being justified by his grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men, unto his people. Now, beloved, we know that we're not justified by good works. We know that. Nor for that matter do we maintain our salvation by good works, but rather salvation is of the Lord and we are his workmanship. Remember that verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8? Beloved, by grace are you saved through faith. And this is worth noting. You see, I, I have faith, but my faith isn't in my faith. 
my faith is small. It's, it's weak. It's fragile. It's mixed up with doubt. But the object of my faith, you see, it's the faith of the God-man, Jesus Christ. He perfectly believed God in my place on my behalf. And so that's why we read in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, how that by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The grace is not of myself, this, this salvation is not of myself, and this faith has been undeservedly given to me, that I might believe on the Son of God. And so in verse 9, the apostle continues there in Ephesians chapter 2, not of works, lest any man should boast and boast. And then we read in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, not to be saved, but because, beloved, we already are. And our Lord declares in John chapter 15, verse 16, And you'll hear no murmuring from the disciples upon hearing this. Now, in, in free will, false religion, they get all upset when they hear that it's not by what you decide or what you choose. But that's just the truth. And our Lord and God declared to those disciples, and this is true of every one of us, beloved, who believe on the Son of God, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Again, this is verse 16. John chapter 15, verse 16. And our Lord declares, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. You see, beloved, God has ordained these things that we should walk in them, and I believe that's what it is to walk by faith. Beloved, the just shall live by faith, serving the Lord as we serve His purpose and one another by His grace in His kingdom. Again, verse 11 of Romans 12. Not slothful, but rather fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Desiring in your spirit to do what? To serve me, myself, and I? Well, that's what the old nature wants to do. But, beloved, now we fervently want to serve the Lord. And how do we do that? How do we serve the Lord? By serving Him. By serving one another. An old faithful preacher of the gospel once heard a young man saying, I want to serve the Lord. I, I want to serve the Lord. To which he replied, well, serve Him. <laughs> serve Him. And beloved, we serve the Lord by serving His people, by serving one another. That's what He said in Matthew 25. Remember when the Lord said to the redeemed, When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you came to me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. Now, I know that's referring to the gospel and those things provided in the gospel. And they said, Lord, when did we do these things to you? And our Lord said, as much as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, 
you've done it to me. You see, beloved, we're members of one another. As believers, we make up the one body of Christ. And we serve the one head, all of us together, serving, as we read here in Romans 12, and verse 11, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And look there with me beginning in verse 12. You know, uh, the church of Christ is described as a bride, as his promised bride. And there'll be a marriage feast, a wedding feast in glory. And I want you to understand something. All of his people comprise this bride, this promised bride that will be his wife for all eternity. And um, she has all her fingers. <laughs> she has all her toes. She has all her teeth. She's got both eyes. She's glorious and beautiful from top to bottom without spot or wrinkle. And she's all there. That is to say nothing more than what our Lord said much better than I could. He said, this is the Father's will, he who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I shall lose nothing but raise it up again in the last day. Um, we see lots of pictures of this glorious salvation uh, in Revelation. Like you've heard of the 144,000. That number is not a literal number. It's just indicating, if you can picture in your mind the wedding banquet and there's 144,000 people invited by God, you know how many people are going to show up? 144,000 people are going to be there. And uh, perhaps I say invited because that's what we do at weddings. But this gospel, it's a, it's a glorious command. Our Lord calls us and he commands us by his love and grace and he conquers us and we come willing. What does it say there in Psalm 110 verse 3? He makes us willing in the day of his power. I love that. And so in this chapter, uh, we see Paul speaking about the body of Christ, his church, his bride. And in verse 12, he writes there, for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I shall not of uh, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they 
but now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more these members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncommonly parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that which part to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And so, beloved, we serve the Lord, serving one another in Him. All right, Romans 12, verse 12. And God enabling us to do this all the more, rejoicing in hope. Beloved, rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Now, we don't do these things to be saved, but, beloved, because we already are saved. And these things are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, temperance, faith. These are the fruit of the Spirit. And the Apostle says to you and to me who believe on Christ there in verse 12, Beloved, by His grace and mercy, we are rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Now, he mentions three things. First of all, rejoicing in hope. Now, what is our hope? What is our rejoicing? Look back at Romans chapter 5. Beloved, this is what we rejoice in. This is our hope. Verse 1, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, peace, perfect peace. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Beloved, that's the reason, the basis, the subject of our hope. The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is all my redemption. Christ is all my righteousness. Christ is all. Whenever I read the word rejoicing in Scripture, I think of the book of Philippians. You read the word rejoice and rejoicing 12 times. And what's remarkable and amazing about finding that word rejoice there in the book of Philippians is how that our brother Paul was writing that book when he was in prison, awaiting his death, waiting to have his head removed because of the gospel. And when he writes back to the believers, he writes, Beloved, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Beloved, we have so much to be thankful for. 
For we are the true circumcision, the true Israel of God, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. I was just remarking to someone just a moment ago. You know, we, we chit-chat before and after the service, and we, we ask each other, how are you doing? Um, how are things? I never know quite how to answer that question. <laughs> but I said, um, how am I doing? Perfect. And uh, I said, um, you know, that, that we're complete in Christ. That's never, that never sounds trite for the believer. It's good to remind each other that we're complete in Christ. And uh, my brother said, well, what do you mean? Do you mean in, in myself or in Christ? And of course, uh, um, I love it when people give me a good excuse to preach the gospel and to say, well, of course, not in us, <laughs> in Christ. As we read here, this is our experience. We have no confidence in the flesh. Did you pray today in the morning? And do your devotions, and you felt a little bit better about yourself? Did you I don't know, hand out some gospel tracts and feel a little bit better about yourself? Or, you know, read a portion of God's Word and it made you feel better about yourself? That's pure idolatry. The only thing that comforts us, the only thing that makes us feel good, <laughs> is to read again in God's Word and to hear again, again through the preaching of the gospel how Christ is all. He's all of our redemption. He's all of our righteousness. And we lack absolutely nothing. We're complete in Him, beloved. We have a full and complete pardon of all of our sins. We're, we're washed truly and completely by the precious blood of Christ. And much more, beloved, we're dressed in the perfect spotless righteousness of God himself, holy and completely reconciled to our Heavenly Father. That's why when they were translating that portion uh, in Isaiah, I'll read that to you, uh, they really didn't know how to uh, address this uh, peace, this perfect peace that Isaiah talks about. In the original language, it actually just says, peace, peace. It's such perfect peace, you just have to repeat it because there's no way to describe it. <laughs> Complete peace in Christ. And it says there, if you turn there with me, Isaiah chapter 26. Pray the Lord would hide this verse and this reference in our hearts. It's such a comforting verse to read. Now, we, we can't muster this up ourselves. We have to pray the Lord to keep our hearts and minds stayed on Christ, on His blood, and on His righteousness. And it says there in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, Thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace, 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 whose mind is stayed on Thee, because He trusteth in Thee. Amen. And so, as we're going back here to Romans chapter 12, verse 12, the apostle speaks there in the, in the first part, rejoicing, rejoicing in hope. And beloved, beloved rejoicing 
uh, in hope is speaking there about rejoicing in Christ, who is our hope. Rejoicing always and ever in the Lord. You see, beloved, we have so much to be thankful for, and we rejoice in His mercy. We rejoice in Christ. Consider it afresh, beloved. Contemplate it afresh. By God's grace, take it in and consider this blessed reality. Beloved, all your sins, all of them, are put away by the precious blood of Christ. So put away, they're to be remembered no more. Now, what does that move you to do? What does that move God's people to do? Rejoice, beloved. <laughs> Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in that full atonement for sin for us. Rejoice in hope. And the hope we have, well, it's a good hope through grace. That's what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. He says, Brethren, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts, establish you in every good work and word. Every good word and work. Beloved, we have good hope through grace and everlasting consolation in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. If I am believing, if I am sincerely believing, I'm rejoicing in Christ. I thought the apostle just wrote there, rejoicing in hope. How do you reconcile those two? Well, it's because Christ is our hope. There's nothing to reconcile. He's saying the same thing. Beloved, He is our hope. And Paul says that in 1 Timothy chapter 1. You turn there with me. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Rejoice in hope. This is not some nebulous, vague, ungrounded hope. This hope is speaking about Christ. Christ is our hope of glory. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. I know the translators added those two words, which is, but I think it bears repeating. Let's leave out the word, which is. God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. <laughs> our hope. You see that, beloved? The Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. Rejoicing in hope. And then the second thing Paul mentions, patient in tribulation. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now that's the Apostle Paul. I'd like to say that with a little more conviction. But we can say with him, maybe this with him, I am learning. I'm still learning, beloved, and I trust you are too. I am learning. Lord, I am learning in whatsoever state I am, rich or poor, healthy or sick, fertile or infertile, hot or cold, to be content therewith. I remember one time when I said to my brother in Christ, this is the best place to live in the whole world. 
<laughs> uh, he misunderstood me. He thought I was referring to Mexico. <laughs> and I was. But the thing is, wherever God has you, wherever God has you, that's the best place to be in the whole world. And we're learning this more and more every day, beloved, to be content in God's good providence, whatever the circumstances. You see, in whatever station in life or place that God, by his good providence, has put you, the trial that he brings upon you, these trials that God brings into our life, they don't just happen. Rather, these trials are from the hand of our loving Heavenly Father. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastens, and he scourgeth every son whom he loved. Patient in trials. Now, I've got to be the first to confess all too often, all too frequently when something happens to me, at least at the first, I always seem prone to ask and complain, Lord, why is this happening to me? Why me? And so I'm learning to be patient when God reaches out his afflicting rod in love. And when he does, when he does, you know, it's a good thing for us, beloved. It really is. It's a good thing. It's good for me, David said. It's good for me that I have been afflicted of the Lord. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes, thy ways. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, wherein, and if you turn there with me, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Um, let's, let's pick up in verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, manifold trials, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, the expected end of the believer, everlasting life in Christ. And we know, beloved, how that all things... This is uh, Romans 8, verse 28. I love that portion. We're taught by His grace, and indeed He makes this known to us, beloved, how that all things work together for good for those who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now consider these three things that the Apostle is setting forth for our consideration. First, rejoicing always in the Lord. Beloved, if you're rejoicing always in the Lord, if you and I who believe find ourselves rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ, in His blessed person and His finished saving work, what, what would be the result? Well, you'd have patience. You'd have patience in tribulation. I mean, if you and I are rejoicing in the Lord, well, that would give us patience in tribulation, will it not? 
And then the third thing the apostle mentions in verse 12, continuing instant in prayer. Now our Lord said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. And to be sure, his people do. A few months back, Sandra and I were at the Houston City Hall. I think that's what it was. It was a city hall, right? And they were having a national day of prayer. And you know, they all held hands around the flagpole over the city hall there. And I, we didn't hang around to watch. I mean, we were just poking around and we got out of there pretty quickly. It was, uh, it was a little, uh, I don't know what the right way to put it. It was just weird. <laughs> And uh, so I just say that by way of saying that this is not what the Apostle Paul is speaking about here, this continuing instant in prayer. You see, prayer to the believer is the very life breath of his soul. I mean, you can't tell a believer not to pray any more than you can legislate or make rules for others to pray. Uh, And uh, there are some people that even want there not to be any prayer. And they say, well, we've taken prayer out of school. Well, you can take prayer out of the school building. I mean, you can do that. But you can't take it out of the believer's heart. can't be done. You see, that's what's in his heart. And prayer is a cry of a soul unto the Lord. It's the heart cry unto the Lord. It's something real, intimate, and personal. Is between you and your heavenly Father, our Father which art in heaven, and first, and there in First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. Again, the apostle is continuing throughout these epistles this theme of rejoicing. In verse sixteen of chapter five of First Thessalonians, he writes there. Verse 16, there's two words, rejoice evermore, rejoicing in hope, rejoicing in Christ evermore. And then in verse 18, he writes, beloved, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I love that. Did you notice God's word doesn't say in most things give thanks? Or in some things, give thanks. But beloved, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Beloved, may God be pleased to cause us to grow in these things. To grow in our rejoicing in hope. To grow in our rejoicing in Christ to grow in our patience and tribulation, continuing to be constantly diligent in prayer. And I'll conclude with this verse from Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 2. And then I'll ask uh, Brother Ray to conclude our time together in a word of prayer. But here's this uh, portion from Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 2. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. Amen.